0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Hoisty Colors podcast. I'm Stephen Igo, your host, the publisher of HoistyColors.net. And we're here to recap another East Carolina victory, guys. This is the fourth consecutive Post-game victory podcast, four consecutive wins for ECU, 38-35, the Pirates take down the Navy midshipman on Owen Daffer's improbable 54-yard field goal as time expired, the kick heard around Greenville, not quite sure if it was heard around the world, because if you listen to any sports talk radio, which I did for the five-hour drive home from Minneapolis, uh, I think only... They only talk about five teams over and over again in the college football world, but I digress. I don't want to go too far off on a tangent there, but a huge win for East Carolina, uh, 38-35. Ironically, the same final score 10 years later after beating Navy the first time in program history in 2011. That was also a 38-35 game in both of those games. Holt Nailers and Dominic Davis, the two quarterbacks for their respective teams, played almost – perfect football from a passing standpoint the completion percentages were sky high and i don't know what it is about the naval academy but something about when they see east carolina and the jolly roger on the helmet they just play at at an elite level and it takes a special performance from ecu to come away with victories this is just the second all-time victory for east carolina against Navy and this Navy team that really came into the game struggling offensively and struggling in terms of getting explosive plays uh, was you know pretty explosive on Saturday I mean they hit a 90yard touchdown run they hit a 98yard kick return maybe with some missed penalties of course uh, which we'll probably get into a little bit later but just a a Navy team that I thought benefited greatly from the buy I mean you could tell they had a tremendous plan for ecu everything they did last year defensively Navy's coaching staff and they've been doing this a long time they know the ins and outs of the triple option they've seen every way you can defend it every way you can scheme for it and so they schemed up ecu pretty good and then i thought ecu on that first drive you know was in decent position but overran some plays didn't make some tackles then after that you could kind of see a little bit of panic start to set in and then at that point they just struggled to get off the field but adjustments were made enough stops were made in the second half the offense played its tail off I mean it was just uh it was an incredible offensive display you know Navy's defense is vulnerable to big plays but ECU not only hit several big plays but then sustained drives all game long and um just performed at an extremely high level Holton Ehlers I thought played the best game of his career 405 passing yards three touchdowns no picks Five in completions. I think three of them, maybe four, hit the receiver's hands. Could have been catches. So, uh, he played phenomenal. He deserves a ton of kudos for now, the, the way he's played. He's given ECU a chance to win every time out. But, guys, ECU is a 7-4 and four football team. Seven wins, four losses. Five and two in conference play. And, uh, you know, I'm not – it's just – it's been – it's. You know, I, I'm almost speechless because I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm honestly thrilled to be covering this team right now because after the past six years, it's, it's just been difficult. It's been difficult for all you guys as fans. It's been difficult for the players and the coaches that have gone through the program, that are in the program now, and we've seen this turnaround happen. You know, regardless of what happens on Saturday against Cincinnati, this team has turned the corner. I mean, they've guaranteed themselves a winning season. Is there more work to be done? Absolutely. You know, this is not the ceiling. This is not what Mike Houston ultimately envisions for this program. You know, when they win an American Athletic Conference championship, when they're in the top 25, I think that's kind of what the ultimate vision is for this coaching staff. But, I mean, there was a time, heck, even earlier this year when the Pirates started 0-2, and when they were trailing by three scores at Marshall, that, that people were questioning if Mike Houston was the right man for the job, that if this coaching staff was the right man for the job or the right people for the job, was Holt Naylor the right quarterback? Those questions were still being asked midseason. And now you've won four in a row. You're 7-4. and four. You've guaranteed yourself the first winning season in seven years. And it's just been surreal to to cover this team on a weekly basis and kind of see it all unfold this year and see that maturation process happen from the first year of the Mike Houston era to the third year of the Mike Houston era. And it, it truly does feel like, you know, at the, at the start of this season, you almost had the feeling after that South Carolina game, no matter what happened, ECU was going to find a way to lose these close games. Now here we are, what, five, six games later, and now it's it, it's the complete opposite. Uh you, you feel like every game you see you plays, they're going to find a way to win. And that belief has taken hold within the team. And that's the biggest difference. I mean, the, the past two games on the road, and, yes, Memphis and Navy both have their faults. But, you know, that kick return yesterday, to have that flag picked up, to be able to answer that, that drive after that kick return, that was – I mean, that team showed some serious stones – Holt Naylor's on that fourth down throw. They bring the all-out pressure. He knows he's going to get smacked. He stands in there. He makes the throw to Snead. Snead makes a grown man run after the catch. You get the two-point conversion. C.J. Johnson gets hit hard. He holds on. Jaquan McMillan with just the play of maybe the game that's not going to get talked about enough. Navy looks like it's about to convert a first down. Jaquan knocks the ball out back behind the first down marker. Instead of a first down or a fourth and inches at best or at worst, it's now fourth and five, fourth and six, and Navy has to punt the football. Obviously, ECU then goes on to get the win, but not before Holton Naylor's made just an incredible pass and an, and an insane catch by Tyler Sneed, who went and got the football downfield to get ECU in field goal range. And then Owen Daffer, what can you say? Uh, questionable play calling and really questionable clock management there with the. With the game on the line uh, in terms of ECU winning it, I thought if you're gonna if you're gonna snap the ball with thir- or you, you had the ball at the 32, I believe, with 33 seconds left, and the clock was rolling when they set the ball after the review. But uh, you can't not only get one playoff there with one timeout and 33 seconds left, and then you end up losing four yards with the false start. So that, you know they got to figure out a way to maximize that opportunity a little bit better, put themselves in a more advantageous position. Uh, Owen Daffer really, uh, I thought, bailed them out with, with a, just the, uh, an incredible kick. And maybe it added to the moment because it seemed improbable when he lined up. I mean, I was watching him pregame, and I noticed you know, he was kicking from basically that exact spot pregame, and he was kicking around 50, 53 yards. And it was hit or miss in terms of if the ball was going to travel well enough to get through. The goalpost. Uh, it just kind of depended on how he hit it, and so you know, watching that pregame and then later into the night when he lined up for that field goal, 54 yards. I'm thinking in the back of my mind, there's there's very little chance he makes this. Probably a chance it gets blocked or gets returned. Navy didn't have a, a guy back to return it, but maybe a chance it gets blocked. So I was honestly worried and <laughs> thinking, he was going to lose the game there. Uh, And, man, he hit that ball. He absolutely drilled it, and there was no doubt off his foot. You could see, you know, from the press box angle on the side, it's really hard to tell if a field goal is going to go through or not. You guys know sitting in the stands on the side. So I usually watch the kicker reaction after he kicks it. You can usually tell. And, man, he kicked it. He had the confident (laughs) follow-through. His teammates uh, were already running down the field as he – Uh, connected on it and he made it with about five yards to spare Uh, what a moment for owen daffer he gets put on scholarship after the game Uh, he will not probably officially go on scholarship obviously till after the season as they're at the max number right now but uh, he'll get one he was going to get one regardless of if he made that kick or not but that's a that's a pretty awesome moment and if you haven't seen that locker room video yet check that out if you haven't seen mike houston's reaction yet check that out Uh, he had some great quotes after the game and uh, about becoming a meme because he dro- he dropped the holy F-bomb uh, live on the CBS Sports Network. He also had a sly smile. It looked like he was looking at the ref with a smile. I'm not sure who exactly he was looking at there. Uh, but, man, what a moment. And, uh, yeah, just uh incredible game. It felt surreal carving. It felt surreal walking out of the stadium last night. I'm still kind of going on adrenaline right now. We drove back last night, got back at 3 a.m., so I'm kind of running on fumes. Just covered ECU basketball as well uh, on TV in Myrtle Beach. Tough loss there, but hey, we're focusing on the uh, the positives. Might hit on basketball a little bit later, but um, yeah, it's just it's just uh, it's just fun, guys. I mean, this is I can't remember a season where you've had this many close games and in this many close games that went ECU's favor. You know, you now have three games on the road, no less. Not only at home, but on the road. Memphis, Navy, and Marshall, where you just found a way, to wi- a way to win. You wheeled yourself to victory. It all started with that Marshall game. The Memphis game, to find a way to win, by one point to get bowl eligible, that was such a monkey, off the back of this program, and now to beat Navy for the first time in a decade. And yeah, ECU had its problems with Navy once again, but they found a way to win when so many previous years they would not have. And it just kind of feels like this is a team. I don't want to say a team of destiny, but it, it, it's just a special team. You know, I wrote in my column today, VIP takeaways. I hesitate to throw the word special around when it comes to sports because it's such a cliche. Like, oh, this is a special group, but I mean this honestly is. I mean, this is the the turning point of the program, hopefully for the, the long term, not just in the short term, but it does feel like this this program was such a young young roster getting over the hump, putting itself back on the national map becoming relevant again, getting the, the passion of the Pirate Nation back again. Uh, it's awesome. And social media is an awesome place to be when the team is winning. The last few days, uh, Pirate Nation has been in an awesome mood. Four straight wins. I don't think anybody really knows what to do with themselves right now. It almost feels too good to be true. But, hey, maybe it gets even better this Friday against Cincinnati, and we'll talk about that one a lot uh, as the week goes on. We'll get into some of your questions on the Hoist Colors message board. Um, but, yeah, it was special. You know, one last thing I want to share. Um, you know, two years ago, covering the third game of the Mike Houston Air in 2019, you know, they got embarrassed at Navy. And, you know, seeing the way Coach Houston and the players were after that game, I think the final was 42-10. to Like, everybody was just kind of shell-shocked at that moment, at that same stadium. I can remember kind of the look on coach Houston's face and I think it was after that game he kind of realized like what he was really in for because you remember they they lost the state begin that year in a pretty you know they were competitive for a half or so and they were just outmanned you know they come back and beat Gardner Webb and blow out fashion but then you go into that Navy game thinking maybe you got a chance to win and they just got humbled that day and I think it was that day that coach Houston really realized how much of an uphill battle this was going to be and Two years later to see ECU defeat Navy and to see the, you know, the smile on coach Houston's face. And obviously there was more, you know, the whole staff deserves credit. The whole team does. But, you know, the fact that he couldn't take that smile off his face if he wanted to, it just kind of shows you the progress this group has made, the hard work they've put in. So uh, I'm just, I'm happy for the guys, happy for the team, the coaches, obviously you guys as uh, fans, alumni, um Special win on Saturday. Seven and four. Seven and four. Seven wins. ECU football the most since 2014. When Shane Carden and crew had it rolling. So uh man, hope the fans show up this Friday against Cincinnati. All right, let's dive into your questions on the of Colors message board. As always, we got a lot to get to. So let's do that and uh dive right into them. All right, we start with Pirate Treasure NC, who uh, traveled with me to Annapolis, shot the game. Check out his photo gallery, guys, on on hoistacolors.net. He had a lot of good photos on the pregame festivities at Navy. Also, a ton of um, good photos, celebration photos for ECU. Just a lot of good stuff, so check that out on hoistacolors.net. He wants to know any Sunday ticket sale trends for Cincinnati to report. The only I don't have, like, it's too early in the week to kind of say a number. But I would say that the trend is very positive. Um, there's a lot of fans who have caught this momentum and are, are trying to make it to the game. The ticket sales numbers are trending really good. You know, the, the thing that hurts is, you, you know, you only have what twelve thousand five hundred of a season ticket base, and so you start at a really low number. And how do you get to hey thirty five forty thousand? which would be a, a good crowd for a Thanksgiving weekend game based on past ECU attendance success. But then you take the students out of it. Usually you can almost add 10,000 students to that total, and so then you're up to 22,000. And then you try to get 10, 15,000 more to get to that number. Well, with the students gone, it's just going to be tough to to make up that ground. So you hope that the, the momentum of the team – Kind of convinces several students to, if they're within driving distance in the state of North Carolina, or just across the border in South Carolina, Virginia, or wherever, uh, they feel the the desire to come back and attend the game. In what will be a, a huge game for East Carolina and for Cincinnati. So I, I know they're trending in a positive direction. I just don't have an official number right now. Um, but the, you know, the they to win that game, I think it just helps further get people to catch the pirate football fever and hopefully they show up on on Friday and um, what honestly needs to be a good crowd because win or lose against Cincinnati guys the senior class deserves um, a lot of ovation for the work they put in and the team the team deserves a good crowd you know I'm not saying 50,000 people are going to show up but the team deserves a crowd that's into the game and that supports the team and that makes him feel welcome at home in the biggest game of the year, the biggest game in several years in terms of the opponent, and just for what this program has accomplished this year, regardless of what happens on Saturday. Or Friday, excuse me. Uh, who is more clutch? Pirate Treasure asks, Daffer with the winner, CJ with the two-point conversion, Sneed's two big receptions, McMillan's punch out. Man, uh, <laughs> and uh, you didn't even mention Holden Aylers, who was a clutch all game but I mean all those plays were incredible but uh, I mean you can't not go with Daffer because to kick that ball I mean for a freshman who's never been in that spot any game winning spot let alone for 54 yards on the road um, that's the definition of clutch it does not get any clutch more clutch than that so I'm going Daffer I mean I, th- I think you take that one to the bank slam dunk if he's not the American Athletic Special Teams Player of the Week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tweet at the conference, which Coach Houston implored us to do after the game, but I was gonna do it anyways. Um, I have no problem tweeting at the conference about officiating and about the Player of the Week stuff, as you guys well know. Um, what does ECU need to do to get a victory over Cincinnati? A lot. ECU needs to do a lot because Cincinnati is a great football team, and in, in basically every facet. Uh, I mean, they are phenomenal, explosive on offense, great quarterback, great running back, great receivers, great offensive line, defense, elite, pass defense, good pass rush, good run defense. The one area they have been susceptible this year is teams have been able to run the ball on them at times and sustain drives. But their pass defense guys. I mean, Tanner Mordecai for SMU, I think, was averaging like 330 passing yards per game. And Cincinnati held him to 66 yards, I believe. I mean, they just completely shut him down. And, you know, I knew I knew SMU would struggle in that game. SMU historically fades late in the season. When the weather gets colder, especially when they have to go on the road. Cincinnati had something to prove, all the pundits same. You know, we're we're not blowing teams out like we should. That game just you know, Cincinnati plays a really good late in the year at home, and so it just was a recipe for a disaster for SMU. Yeah, Tanner Mordecai, fifteen of twenty-six, sixty-six yards, sixty-six passing yards, um SMU did run for one thirty-three, but the Bearcats outgame SMU five hundred forty-four to one ninety-nine, and that's with them taking their foot off the gas in the third quarter. So uh, guys, this you know make me no mistake. I'm, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet about the Cincinnati fake punt stuff all week. But this team is, I mean, this is an elite college football team. Like this is no fluke. They went toe to toe with Georgia last year in the bowl game and probably should have won that game. And basically, that entire football team is back, and so is Georgia. And Georgia is the best team in America right now. So. Uh, this is a great team. is going to have to play its best game of the year just to have a chance to win. Um, can they win? I think so. But, I mean, th- this team is good. You don't go 11-0, and and you don't beat Notre Dame on the road by 11, um, unless you're a really good football team. So th- this is a good team. I think in order for ECU to have a shot, A, the obvious one, win the turnover battle, uh, get the ground game going, you know, find a way to keep Ritter contained. The past few times, ECU just has not been able to contain Desmond Ritter, and he's killed them with his legs. I mean, he's got a big enough arm; he makes plays with his arm. But you can't let him beat you with his legs, too. That's when you're going to get beat. But um, it's it's going to be a tall tall task. We'll get more into the Cincinnati preview as we go along. But uh, I think ECU is going to have to run the ball well to have a shot to beat him. All right, our next question comes from ECU Buck 88 He says, does the, does the winning season make it more or less likely Holt Naylor's returns? Does he see it as a mission accomplished or a chance to return and compete for a championship? Do other schools, especially Virginia Tech, take note of the turnaround and become interested in Mike Houston? Um, yeah, we'll hit the first one first. So, I, you know, I can't get inside of Holt Naylor's head, but just the sense from talking with people is I think – I think the more success ECU has, the better chance he will return. I think more. I think the negativity of of the, of the loss of the losses and kind of the blowback from it had really gotten to Holton. Um, I'm not gonna say like, you know, he it affected his game or anything like that, but I just think it kind of wore on him. And now that they're winning. I just think it's so much more fun for him. I mean, the smile on his face, the, the, the way he's playing right now, I mean, I just think he's playing so much more relaxed. And he's he's not trying to to play. It doesn't look like he's playing with the weight of the world on his shoulders anymore, the weight of Greenville. So I just think he's so much more freed up and relaxed right now with them winning. And it, it just seems like the game is coming easier for him. Not that it's easy, but it's just becoming more smooth. So you know, if they go on to finish eight and five, or you know whatever it is uh it it just seems it seems hard for me to believe that he would walk away from that, knowing what the team would have coming back next year so um but I don't know I mean he's going to walk at senior day this Friday, and then I think he will make his decision for sure in early December, but right now I, I you know I can't get this out of his head i just i I would think the winning would make it easier to come back um all things considered either way at this point he will be remembered as the guy the quarterback who helped the ECU football turnaround which is what he set out to do when he uh when he committed here and whether or not he wants to come back next year and try and win a conference championship and take it to the next level that's ultimately up to uh to him and the coaches uh do other schools take notice of coach houston yeah i mean they definitely do i mean look mike houston is uh he's well known in the coaching industry I think maybe it's a good thing for ECU that the team is not 10-1 and one right now like they could have been if they would have beat South Carolina, Houston, and UCF because if you had a ranked team competing for a conference championship, I, I think he gets a lot more national notoriety. I think since you're 7-4, and four, you're flying under the radar a little more. People want to see, hey, is Mike Houston, is this turnaround legit? Is this just a one-year thing? In my opinion, if he closes this year strong and then comes back next year and ECU has another really good year, next year is when he's going to get a lot of interest in terms of other FBS jobs. And and with all the openings this year, I'm not going to rule it out because of his track record. I mean, he's won everywhere he's been. He's now winning the ECU. But I still think he needs another really good year at ECU before he can kind of make that jump to a job where, You know, if he has another really good year at ECU, he'll be able to really have have a pick from several different good spots, or he should theoretically. So, um, yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech is a you know, you look at it, I think Virginia Tech would be a fit for Coach Houston, Uh, having coached in the Virginia area, ties to the school. It's a football first school. It kind of fits his personality, similar to ECU. So. You know, that one does worry a little bit, but it doesn't seem like his name is coming up a lot there, at least uh, by early reports. So we'll, we'll continue to keep an eye on that. But there's a lot of trickle down. There's going to be a lot of trickle down with all these coaching changes because there's so many coaching openings nationally. All Fish right, uh, TJGFish321, he says, it seems more and more like CJ Johnson is starting to figure things out again. Made some big plays the past few weeks. Do you think he is starting to turn the corner? uh yeah I I do man I think CJ is he's back to being big play CJ making those huge catches down the sideline making plays after the catch um making the plays on the catchable balls I'm I'm just you know when he's going when Snead's going when Aldi's making plays the tight ends are an option the running backs are an option the passing game is just really tough to stop so you know a lot of his catches yesterday were those contested catches and and that's kind of what he has to do because he's not going to be a guy that consistently gets separation. But it seems like he's kind of found his role uh, with this offense, is back to making those big plays down the sideline, making some clutch plays over the middle on third down if it if goes that route. So, yeah, it, it does seem like he's starting to play with confidence again. And I know he had some injuries to begin the year. It seems like he's also getting back healthy. Uh, he also wants to know, is Jaden Blue from Temple – Someone we are looking at as far as transfers go. You know, I've heard some brief chatter about Blue being a potential uh, option. You know, I've also heard the UNC kid uh, whose dad played at ECU, Emory Simmons. But I think that's something more that we'll see in December. Once the regular season ends, I think you're going to see a lot of these portal guys take visits. uh, Because they're going to want to get in school early, if possible, in January. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to hear more on the transfer portal guys in December after the Cincinnati game. But um, Blue is a name I've heard. I think last I checked, ECU was trying to figure out what exactly went down there. Same thing with Emory Simmons and a couple other guys in the portal. All right, next question comes from Yakin. He says, do you think the defensive struggles yesterday were were due more to a lack of preparation and how to stop the triple option or failures in execution? Um, I don't think lack of preparation really – I think Navy's coaching staff is so elite at scheming up teams, especially if they have multiple weeks to prepare. Um, and so, for me, like, I, I know ECU worked on it year-round and dating back to to spring ball. And, you know, every Sunday the ECU practiced the triple option. I think it was more, you know, I don't want to put on the players, but I feel like the execution was lacking. I do think, you know, they caught – coach harrell and the coaching staff and some scheme things but I uh, you know there were also just the inability to get off blocks the inability to tackle in space pro football focus had ecu with 14 missed tackles and 49 snaps um those were the biggest issues overrunning plays you know the fullback dive with the middle you know the guy just overran the play um so you know i i think it's just that you got to see it so much Live Like, the, the live game speed is just so different compared to what the scout team can do. And for whatever reason, Navy just seems to execute at an elite level or get the bounces against ECU. I mean, those, they had those two fumbles early in the game that ECU was unable to get on. If ECU recovers those fumbles and builds a 14 21 lead, then, you know, that just that changes the whole dynamic of the game. It just seems like whenever ECU plays Navy, those plays or a kickoff return touchdown holding penalty. Somehow it gets picked up or doesn't go ECU's way. It's just uh, honestly amazing sometimes. But I do put it more on execution than lack of preparation. But I do feel like it was a little of both. More so schemes and just Navy scheming things up more so than ECU's lack of preparation is how I would put it. Uh, Yakin also asked, do you think the school will pull out any other tricks to get fans to the game Friday other than the ticket package? Um, that you know, I just think more than anything, they'll just continue to push it hard on social media and continue to build the buzz for the game. You know, throw out videos, whether it be coach using the players, inviting the fans to the stadium. Maybe they'll come up with some other marketing promotions, being in Thanksgiving weekend. Um, hey, come to the game, you know, get your, uh, get some type of sale for Black Friday or get some type of gift, gift card, that sort of deal. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there's there's got to be ways to engage the fan base going into a a Black Friday post-Thanksgiving weekend. But it, it's just, you know, it's also tough. I mean, there's only so much you can do without just giving away a bunch of tickets, which maybe is what they need to do because what's more important, making, you know, maximizing the money you can make or having as many fans in the stands as possible to have a good atmosphere on national television when you can really showcase your product and attract people that way. So uh, they got to find that balance. What is that balance? I don't know, but I'm sure those are conversations that are being had uh, throughout the, uh, you know, the marketing department and within the administration's office, or at least I hope those conversations are happening. ECU grad four, he comes with a Bevy of questions and as always has a lot of good ones and I'll try to answer as many of these as I can. ECU grad, he says, why are AAC football refs so biased against ECU? I am sure it could be said this is an emotional question as an ECU fan, but I find it hard to believe a group can be so incompetent in their chosen career to have as many mistakes against ECU over the years since joining the AAC without it being a bias. Um, you know, I I think a large part of it is. The refs are just simply incompetent and terrible. But I do think a small percentage is natural bias. Not that they are out against ECU. But that refs always know who's supposed to win the game. And more times than not, ECU is the underdog. And I feel like, for whatever reason, when is playing in certain situations, they just get the short end of the stick because they're not expected to win. Uh, in terms of the Navy game, you see it was favored, but it's Navy, and anybody in co- anybody in college football will tell you that Navy gets away with more crap in terms of dirty play or penalties that aren't called uh, than any team in America. And so uh, that's just part of being a service academy, I guess. You know, you have this reputation as the uh, hospitable group, but in reality, they're tough sons of guns who are going to do everything to beat your tail, and they get away with a lot. Um, so I just think AAC refs suck I've said it before I've said, I'll have said. i say it again um, I think they're incompetent I think there's a small level of natural human bias That takes place And anybody that tells you that Every ref out there is unbiased Is uh, flat out lying Because natural bias I think happens in any profession In several realms um, Across several layers So I, I think there is some natural bias But I think more so than anything It's just pure incompetence uh, and it's a glaring issue that the American needs to fix. They're officiating. All right, ECU grado force, next question. Several times during the ECU-Navy game, such as booing Mike Houston when challenging the no flag on kickoff return and cheering when Holton initially fumbled the ball, the Navy fans sounded very loud. Was it that big of a crowd for Navy, or did CBS have microphones in the stands? Are they usually that loud and boo that much? As not sure I've heard that as much on Navy home games um i think cbs mics up the navy crowd specifically the uh the student section and those guys do get into the game um i think group of fans really do the rest of the stadium is you know not super loud but you know, it's a good atmosphere i'm not gonna say it's it, it's better than dowdy fickham but it's certainly unique and they were booing pretty loud when coach houston was uh was arguing with the refs and so they make their presence felt um and so I would say it's a combination of yeah, they're into the game and CBS mics up the crowd which adds to the atmosphere. Um, just like when you watch a game on ESPN or ABC the atmosphere is so much better because ESPN uses their best pro- production uh, and they use those mics to amp up the crowd noise whereas if you watch a game on ESPN Plus or ESPN U or whatever that's a non um, frontline game the atmosphere is lacking not only because there's less fans in the hands, but there's just less work being done to amplify the crowd noise. Um, Next question from ECU Grab, what do you feel ECU's head coach, coordinator coach, and position coach pay should approximately be in the new American Athletic Conference? Explain your opinion and how we presently compare. Um, I'd have to run the numbers. I know that ECU is towards the bottom among public schools or at the very bottom among public schools in head coach pay coordinator pay and position coach pay Um, and you know without getting to the specific numbers I don't have them in front of me ECU needs to at worst be in the middle of the league and the more they win they need to move towards the top of the league you have to make a commitment to winning that's done by obviously winning football games first which in turn should drive revenue as fans come back and fill the stadium then you can pay your coach more etc etc it all has a ripple effect hopefully with ECU finally winning more the fans come back we've talked about it before next year's season ticket base is going to be crucial hopefully this momentum leads to that increasing and then if that happens then you have a baseline to which you know you can count on and you can pay more to uh, your most valuable product which is football and if Mike Houston keeps winning at the level he's winning at he's going to become a very hot commodity quickly and ECU is going to have to pay him And if they can't pay Mike Houston enough, ECU is going to have to pay another coach a lot of money to come here um, and to stay here. So it's just you got to you got to continue to invest in order to win. And in some ways you have to win in order to invest. So um, as far as the exact numbers there, I, I don't know off the top of my head. But I know ECU needs to improve their standing there. Uh, next question from ECU grad he says the newly passed state budget again allows in-state tuition cost of out-of-state athletes with this will this reduction in cost allow the annual Pirate Club donations in the current donation 2021 year to cover all the costs of student athlete tuition costs and new cost of attendance allowance authorized by NCAA a few years ago I honestly don't know that's a question I'm going to have to ask uh john gilbert so i'll try to ask him that one next next time um next question the, the twenty twenty one ncaa learfield directors cup has ecu ranked tied for 156 out of 293 teams what is the highest we have ever been ranked where do you think is about the best we can expect ucf was 57 houston 76 and since was 143 for that year does the overall perspective of how all college sports teams collectively perform matter in realignment anymore? Is it just important on some AD's resume? Um so good question. I don't know. I tried to look it up earlier. ECU's highest standing ever in the directors' cup. For people who aren't familiar, that's a basically a combined standing of all the success of all sports teams. Um you know, you mentioned UCF's 57, Houston 76. You know, both those teams had good, good, good college basketball programs. Cincy, obviously, good college basketball program, good football program. Um, I think around the 100, the 75 to 100 range would be a really good number for ECU to strive for as you improve football. Obviously, you'll see that number go up. We know baseball is good if you can improve men's basketball and women's basketball. I think softball is going to continue to improve you improve those five sports you're going to see that number shoot up and then hopefully one day get into that top 100 so i think somewhere in the top 100 would be reasonable um as far as the overall perspective of how college sports teams matter i think i think at the end of the day it's more about how good are you in football because that always makes the most money how good are you in men's basketball what's your academic standing I think those are the three things that matter. Where's your location? Obviously, your geography, your TV market. Those obviously are crucial things, too. But football success drives the, drives the boat along the TV market because that's where the money is made. All right, let's run through some more of these questions. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Um, let's see. Be Easy says, Are we going to have enough of a running game to keep Cincinnati honest? Or will Holt Naylor just have to sling it all over the yard? with precision again, a la 2019. I just think, man, there's no way you can drop back and have a ton of success. We saw that last year against Cincinnati. And ECU actually ran it on Cincinnati pretty well last year. But they just got behind, and the passing game was dead. Because those two corners, Ahmad Gardner and Cubby Bryant, they are, they are really good. And so if ECU you got Majay Sanders off the edge, so no, I mean, you, you have to run the football in this game. And I do think ECU can, and they're going to have to establish a run first to have a chance to pass the football, because Cincinnati will either guys in man coverage, they'll mix it up, they'll do a lot of blitzing. Um, but I, I feel like ECU just has to has to run the ball well to have a chance, and I think they can. It's not going to be easy, but I think they have to commit to it and they have to do it. Otherwise, it's going to be a long day uh, for East Carolina. Um, Bird Pirate, he's got three questions. What was the vibe? Amongst the Navy media in regards to keeping Coach Kinney and Lolo, will Navy make a change this year? I didn't get into it too super much. Berg Pirate, um, I did not get the impression that they're going to make a change. Though I, I think, um, he's been there, had so much success. I just think it's it's going to be difficult to to make a change there. And so I, I did not get that vibe. I do I do think if he if he remains. Next year is going to be a big make-or-break year for that program. Uh, Right right now they have a bunch of young guys that are getting some playing time that they're trying to sell as far as the future, and I think there's a good chance they'll get next year. And if they go three, four wins again next year, then maybe you see a change made. Uh, Berg also says, It's been a rumor that the military bowl reps were at last night's game. Have any other bowl reps seen us play this year? I do not think any other bowl reps have seen EC play in person. There were a few All Star game reps, like college All Star games, postseason games um, reps there yesterday at Navy, but no, no other bowl games. You had the Amer- you had a few American officials there as well, but no bowl game reps um, outside of the military bowls. Uh, did you smoke your victory cigar after the post game interview? Uh, I did not. I, you know, I I have a cigar I need to smoke at some point for my wedding. I was in, but um you know, as cool as that would have been, I gotta stay professional. And so maybe after the Pirates win the conference championship next year, I'll light it up. Um when they end up beating Cincinnati for the league league title next year. I'll save it for that. How about that? Um all right. Pirate Marv, he says no question about the game, but can you make a separate thread showing the preseason predictions? Of posters, I seem to recall you predicting six and six, and yours truly predicted eight and four. I have also predicted an upset of Cincinnati. Um, I can I can try to pull up that thread. Yeah, I did a I did two predictions. I had six and six in both. I had a uh, way too early prediction in February when the schedule came out, and I had a post fall camp prediction six and six. Um, and so yeah they've surpassed my expectations of course I feel like I've predicted 6-6 six and six for the past like 5 years so uh, to finally see them surpass that or reach that is obviously good you know it's impressive that you predicted 8-4 and four. I would say not a lot of fans predicted more than 6 wins I think a few predicted 7 not many at all predicted 8 wins so if they end up beating Cincinnati and go 8-4 then that's a hell of a job by you uh, congrats on that Because uh, I don't think a lot of people thought That was going to happen uh, Buck 88 asked Did you think the refs were going to rule the completion of this need and interception Upon review um, I did not Also did not think the refs were going To pick up the flag On the holding call Also didn't think they were going to overrule The Tulsa fumble And so You know I was almost like trying to trick myself into believing, hey, they're going to overturn this, so I wouldn't be as mad if they did overturn it. But, I mean, the replay clearly showed that Snead caught the ball, and then the DB, you know, tried to take it from him, and they had dual possession, and the dual possession goes to the offense. So, I criticized American officials enough. They got that one right, and they got that one right quickly. They went to the replay monitor, looked at it, made the call. Call stood. Call confirmed. It's clearly a catch, and so I'm proud of the American um, if I could cue up like a clapping sound, I would do that on this podcast, but i am it's too late at night, and I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to upload this thing once I'm done. So um, I didn't think they were going to do it. I was worried they might, and so I'm glad that they got it right. Uh, Matt asks, can you ask Coach Houston why we don't match our gloves with the opposing team's jersey colors if possible? You could probably only get away with it if the gloves are black or white, but it does make holding harder to call for the refs. Great point, Matt. Um I can try to ask coach Houston that. I don't know if that's something that Honestly, I don't ever pay attention to that. I don't know if that's something that's done regularly or if that's like considered cheap or what. I don't I don't know, but that is an interesting point. Matt also asks, could you ask if they're drinking Gatorade or Pedalite? Petal- I don't know how to pronounce that. I know that it's like an electrolyte drink. I'm pretty sure they're drinking Gatorade, but I'll I'll try and find that out as well. You guys asked some interesting questions. I've got to give you credit. I mean, I, I cover this team, and I feel like I asked a lot of good questions. But you guys ask better questions than I do sometimes. And sometimes I don't have the answer to to things like that. Um, so I was trying to figure out. out. Uh, last question comes from 27817Pirate. He says, if DJ Ford doesn't play the majority of the snaps this week, would that be due to injury or a coaching decision at the game Saturday? I didn't realize that he was even at the stadium. Watching it when I got home, I saw that he did, in fact, play. Yeah, I think he played 15 snaps per pro football focus. Um, and he's been injured. He's been banged up for the past several weeks, and so I think it's more of an injury slash lack of practice decision. Um, you know, his play has been solid this year. It's also a unique matchup with the option. Like, I feel like they use twenty guys. I think on Saturday, but you know, very, you know, a number of those guys only played like one series or a handful of snaps. They pretty much played the same guys for the most part um, as the game went on as they started to get more comfortable because playing the option yeah it's a grind physically but it's it's so mental and it's so much more about trusting the guys to do their assignment more so than just going out there and playing and uh, you know replacing them and having fresh bodies obviously is always a goal but you got to be able to play your assignments you have to be able to be trusted by the coaching staff and so Um, I don't know if DJ missed some practice time over the past several weeks when EC was probably working on the option, if that cost him some playing time. He also was not on the team last year when they went against the option, so he wasn't as familiar with Navy's option. He had played against Georgia Tech earlier in his career, but I think that may have played a role. Um, So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much he plays against a team like Cincinnati. Again, a lot of it has been injury-based. A lot of it, too, is uh, the safeties, is the deep position. We've seen Teagan Wilt kind of emerge as a boundary safety, which is what DJ also plays here these last few, few games. So um, I think you'll continue to see him rotate in more against Cincinnati, but we'll see how that goes on, um, on Saturday. We'll also see if Juwan Powell is close to returning. He's missed the last, I think, three games now with an injury. Just saw Hatfield return against Navy, played three offensive snaps, caught a pass. He also played special teams. Uh, the Pirates were missing Noah Henderson, which I didn't even realize till later in the game because Nashad Strother and Justin Chase were playing tackle. And uh, Henderson was at the game but did not play due to his back injury. And uh, it sounds like they hope to have him back for the Cincinnati game. But all five linemen who started ended up playing the entire game on offense in one of the better performances of the year for the Pirate offensive line. I forgot to mention that earlier. You know, as good as Holton Anders played, as good as the running backs played, Keaton Mitchell, 1,000-yard back. Congrats to him. First to do it in eight years since Fantavius Cooper in 2013. As good as the receivers were making some incredible catches, the offensive line balled out. They picked up a lot of the blitzes. You know, there were a few guys who ended up coming free. Navy does some confusing stuff. But overall, I thought Coach Shankweiler's group really performed well. And we talked so much about, you know, Holton Aylers, why does he have some bad games? Why does he have some great games? A lot of it, guys, just simply comes down to can the offensive line protect well enough for him to go through his reads, be comfortable in the pocket. And we saw on Saturday at Navy, when those things happen, Holton Aylers is a damn good quarterback. It takes 11. On Saturday, all 11 more times tonight were on the same page, and that's why we saw ECU's offense put up one of his best performances of the season. So sometimes we don't need to overcomplicate it. It really is that simple. You get good pass protection, your veteran quarterback is able to play like a veteran quarterback and play at a high level. And so that's what we saw on Saturday. Hopefully ECU can run the ball well enough against Cincinnati on, on Friday to slow down that pass rush and give Holton Naylor a chance to, to do the same thing against probably one of the best, if not the best, secondary in college football against the Bearcats. Um, so that'll do it for guys for the questions, and that will do it for the podcast. Another fun victory podcast, a lot of good stuff to talk about. Uh, this week's going to be crazy, you know. The short turnaround again with the Friday game. Cincinnati open earlier today is a fourteen point favorite. I think that's a pretty good number. I think it's a fair number. I think ECU's got a shot to win this game. I think it'll be a very motivated ECU football team. Regardless of what the players and coaches say about the fake punt in last year's game, they're going to say maybe that it doesn't matter, all that sort of stuff, but this team is going to be ready to go Friday. and Who knows if they'll win? Who knows if they'll get blown out? Um, The Pirates are in a perfect spot right now. They have nothing to lose. They have absolutely nothing to lose. All the pressure is on Cincinnati. The closer ECU can make this football game from the start to the end, the more that pressure is going to build. East is playing at home. Everybody in America will be watching Cincinnati. And this is a great opportunity for the program. If you lose the game, you're helping out the conference. And, you know, Cincinnati did what it was supposed to do. You win the game. You make national headlines. You continue to to, to take this, this turnaround to another level. You know, you continue to stack. Huge moments on top of huge moments. So a uh, great opportunity on Friday for this program. We'll see what happens at 3.30 on ABC. Before then, of course, we'll have a lot of pregame coverage on Hoist the Colors. Uh, we'll have a pregame podcast up later this week. I'm not sure what day since uh, Thanksgiving is Thursday, but we'll figure something out. Uh, also, if you're not a subscriber, stay tuned as this week goes on for a Black Friday cyber monday special um stay tuned for that because soon we got signing day we got recruiting we got basketball season to get, get into baseball season spring football bowl season all that stuff to cover we'll have it for you on hoist it's going to be a fun few months it's been so long since we actually got to cover bowl practices and a bowl game and so looking forward to this week but also looking forward to the postseason recruiting all that sort of stuff all right I gotta get get off, I gotta go to bed, I gotta catch up on some sleep, but appreciate you guys as always. Thanks for listening to the Hoist Colors podcast. We will talk to you later this week. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus. What brings you to the shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.